Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. You'll never have a problem-free life, ever. You'll never drift off to sleep on the wings of this thought. My, today came and went with no problems in the world. This headline will never appear in the paper. We have only good news to report. You might be elected as president of Russia. You might discover a way to email pizza and become a billionaire. You might be called out of the stands to pinch hit when your team is down to its final out of the World Series, hit a home run, and have your face appear in the cover of Sports Illustrated. It's not likely, but it's possible. But a problem-free, no-hassle, blue-sky existence of smooth sailing? Mm-mm, don't hold your breath. Problems happen. They happen to rich people, sexy people, educated people, sophisticated people. They happen to retired people, single people, spiritual people, and secular people. But not all people see problems the same way. Some people are overcome by problems. Others overcome problems. Some people are left bitter. Others are left better. Some people face their challenges with fear. Others with faith. You don't have a choice about having problems. But you do have a choice about what you do with them. Choose faith. In the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Blair offers advice that will help us choose faith in answer to the challenge of any problem. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner, where your invaluable advice encourages faith in answer to life's overwhelming problems. What's happening? Well, I don't know if I have any invaluable advice to give, but I'll try my best. Uh... Let me start off with a question then, because uh, this, this is something that was on the mind of Andrea in Collinsville. And Andrea writes in, she says, what have you been occupying yourself with during the pandemic, Archbishop? Well, you know, you might imagine that uh, I would have less to do, and I do have less, in as much as all my usual pastoral visits out, masses, ceremonies for the most part, meetings, all of those things are canceled, or they're now done by Zoom call. Mm. Uh, but uh, the reality is I've been pretty occupied uh, with all kinds of questions that keep coming up about everything in light of the pandemic. You know, the responsibility, everything from the uh, liturgical questions to the question of uh, uh, administrative things about uh, parishes and schools, concern for, obviously, for the priests uh, and our people. So really, I, I can't say that uh, I'm left twiddling my thumbs by any means. There's always something down the pike uh, that needs to be addressed. Even as we're recording this program today, I started a meeting at 1 o'clock in the afternoon to 2, and it wound up going to 2.30. Now, of course, these meetings are held in a big room where we're sitting 20 feet apart, and it's only a couple people. There's only three of us at the meeting. But it does take up time. And I, like you, Archbishop, feel that there's so much to do and we're still tr struggling to do it and there still seems not to be enough time in the day to get it all done. Well, I think our challenges are different because, yeah. uh, you know, without a marriage and family, a priest, our challenges are different. Uh, I think of uh, our people's challenge being particularly uh, the challenges of those uh, family obligations for most people. You know, whether it's uh, earning a living, uh, not only for yourself, but for your family, uh, the kids' education when there's no school, uh, living together in uh, uh, close quarters, uh, 
you know, so they're, they're very different. Um, I think uh, a lot of people, you know, people are all different. Some adapt very e easily to things and other people have a very hard time. Uh, there are some people I'm sure who are really struggling mightily with this. So we just have to make the best of it we can and try to help one another. And I'm thinking of some of the people that are struggling today on this Mother's Day who perhaps because of the COVID-19 won't be able to see their mother today. Any thoughts of maybe how to, to celebrate this day? I mean, churches are closed. We won't be able to have any special observances held at churches within the archdiocese for our moms today. Normally, Mother's Day yields the highest church attendance after Christmas Eve and Easter. How do you suggest we recognize all of the mothers out there today as we continue to socially distance ourselves from each other? Well, I think people find ways to be in communication. Uh, you know, the more uh, elaborate means, of course, is with a, what's the right word? Not face televised, face. but on, on, yeah, on a screen, you know, where people can see one yeah. another. Uh, for other people, it might be a visit, but a visit uh, at arm's length uh, or more than one arm, you know, uh, six feet at least. Other people, the mother is living right with them already, and so it, it's not a, a difficulty. I think, too, uh, particularly for people who have lost their mothers uh, to the virus or during it anyway, who have not been able to be with them when they died or, or not been able to have a, a full funeral, uh, I think that's very painful for a lot of people, too. Like everything these days, we're under a certain stress, and we try to make the best of it. Tomorrow is National Eat What You Want Day. Just to change the conversation. Well, have a we bit. gone from the sublime to the ridiculous? Well, perhaps that's good for us. We don't want to concentrate too much on this coronavirus, but we do want to see that there are other things, perhaps, that can divert our attention to something a little bit more pleasant. And it's called National Eat What You Want Day. It's a day to ignore your diet and indulge in your favorite foods. Archbishop, if you had to select one food to eat tomorrow, what would it be? Oh, gee, I suppose uh, I can always go for a, a good bowl of pasta, I suppose. Mmm. Carbonara? Uh, sure, why not? Okay. And on Thursday, May 14th, is the feast day of St. Matthias the Apostle. Matthias is only mentioned by name in the first chapter of Acts, when he is chosen to replace Judas as one of the Twelve Apostles. He's also the only disciple who wasn't personally called by Jesus. Why was Matthias chosen? Do we know much about him? Well, no, but I, I think, well, I will make this little uh, precision he was called by Jesus, but he was called by Jesus uh, through the the risen Christ in the life of the church. You know, okay. Just uh, and I know you don't mean to. I know well, you, you you understand. Just to, just to differentiate the way you from, meant it. Yeah, yeah, from those who were called during Christ's earthly ministry, but designated through the choice, the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, so he's really the the first uh, uh, apostle chosen in some ways, like we all are. Uh, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, and as a person who had the necessary uh, qualities to be put forward, and that's the rest of the story for the uh, for the history of the church until the end of time. Yeah, let's take a look now at the road to happiness in life, and this is where we examine some of the wisdom of Pope Francis, drawn from his writings. I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and then we'll ask you, Archbishop, to comment with your own thoughts. And this is taken from Pope Francis's general audience, delivered back on June 11th of 2014. And it's called, Do You Feel Unfulfilled? Let Yourself Be Embraced by God. Pope Francis says, We often fail to see God's plan. We often realize that we cannot ensure our own happiness and eternal life. However, it is precisely when we experience our own limitations and weaknesses that the Holy Spirit comforts us. Our weaknesses help us understand what is most important. 
We must allow Jesus to lead us into his Father's arms. Your thoughts, Archbishop? Well, yes, uh, the Pope says we often fail to see God's plan. I think even prior to that, we might uh, ask, do people really believe that God has a plan for them? Mm. Um, I suppose it's kind of saying the same thing. And sometimes it is hard for us at different times in life, or particularly when we have any crosses or struggles or uh, great uh, sorrows, uh, to acknowledge or to, to live by the fact that God has a plan for us. Uh, of course, it is a plan that requires our cooperation. We're not robots. Uh, but uh, maybe a another way to put it is that God has a providence over our lives. And if we're faithful to the promptings of grace that we've been given in life uh, through the way God has been with us to to kind of steer us, uh, if we're open to that, well, then, then we, we can be at peace that uh, our life has meaning and that uh, even in sufferings and difficulties and doubts, uh, God is there uh, always at our side, and uh, we have only to be faithful and to try every day to live by uh, what Christ taught us for our life to be fulfilled, uh, both in this life and the world to come. And doesn't that make perfect sense and challenge us during these times of this pandemic? Yes. Uh, you know, people's lives are always filled with many trials. This is a great public universal trial that we're experiencing together. Normally, our trials and tribulations are more individual and private within the great uh, context of the world. But now we're united with a particular kind of uh, cross that uh, we're all sharing together. Can you expound on, on, on this that the, the Pope says, the Pope's statement where he says, our weaknesses help us understand what is most important? Well, yes, because I think um, when, we're, when everything is going well, according to our lights, by a purely worldly point of view, uh, we tend to forget or to be oblivious uh, to the deeper realities of the mysteries of life. Uh, and it's when uh, we experience our weaknesses uh, that we, I think, appreciate all the more deeply our reliance on God, um, that only God can save us. And that's the fact, you know, that we need a Redeemer. We we cannot save ourselves. And the, the, the things that are the most uh, decisive for the meaning of our life, both in this world and in eternity. What is what is uh, Saint Paul says? Uh, say, the voice comes to him, my grace is made perfect in weakness, um, and uh, that we have to live by that same truth. Before we take a look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our WJMJ listeners, let's look at our gospel for this day on this fifth Sunday of Easter. Today's gospel is taken from the fourteenth chapter of John's gospel. So here's the gospel account as it is dramatically presented, and then we'll talk with you, Archbishop, as to what is pertinent to our lives that this gospel is saying. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Henceforth, you know him, and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we shall be satisfied. 
have I been with you so long, and yet you do not know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Truly, truly I say to you, he who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. What are your thoughts, Archbishop, as we hear this amazing gospel account? Well, first of all, it presents us face to face with the great mystery of the Holy Trinity. You know, inasmuch as um, the great uh, central faith of Israel was that the, the one God, you know, the people uh, believed in many gods, idols, uh, mythologies about divine beings, etc. And the great uh, central uh, mystery of uh, given to Israel was is, is the, that there's one God, uh, monotheism. And yet here, we hear words that reveal to us the, uh, the truth of the Most Holy Trinity, that there's one God and three divine persons, which is the great mystery of faith. Because Jesus ascribes to himself uh, and says of himself <clears throat> things that are claims of divinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this comes through in these uh, texts, especially in John. Uh, you know, what Jesus says to Philip, uh, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So this is a, a very important aspect of this gospel, but it's not meant to just be a theological doctrine. It has to do with our coming to God uh, through, with, and in Jesus Christ, uh, and that is our Christian faith. And and I think it, it, there's a very practical substance within this gospel as it starts out by Jesus saying to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. You have faith in God, have faith also in me. Words especially suited for our time. Archbishop, what, what is the practical result of actually living according to these words? You know, have faith in God, have faith in me also. Well, it's a belief in the absolute providence and closeness of God. And, and Jesus says here, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, those are words to live by. Um, you know, the way and the truth and the life. And today, so many people are persuaded that somehow Jesus is just a great teacher in history or that he's kind of a guru figure um, or that he's a moralist. Uh, but this is much more profound. This is what takes us to the heart of the Eucharist, doesn't it? Yeah. That Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And he says, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you cannot have life within you. It's so sad to appreciate the fact that today so many people are indifferent to worthy reception of Holy Communion. You know, that they don't think uh, that this is necessary or important, or they don't even believe necessarily in the true presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist. And yet I connected very much to these words of this gospel, that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's by this uh, participation in the very life of Christ in this very body and blood that we, uh, that we find our way uh, to our eternal home. These very beautiful words are oftentimes part of the gospel that is read at funeral masses. Why is that? Well, I think because, uh, you know, if we're talking about our eternal destiny and as a kind of destination for our life, then when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, we at a funeral liturgy 
uh, offer prayers that this person who was baptized into Christ and who participated in the Holy Eucharist and who lived a life in Christ and by following in his way will now be blessed with the fullness of, of, fullness of the promise Christ made to those who believe and that that person will find eternal happiness, light, and peace in heaven. Let's take a look, Archbishop, now at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. This one is from Barbara in Waterford, and Barbara says, What do you hope we learn as a society that we can carry into the post-pandemic time frame? Well, I suppose there are a number of things. One is uh, the, um, the fact that we are all mortal beings, uh, I think, is very important. Because today we're so protected by uh, modern uh, medicine and modern, uh, how should we say, scientific aids that protect life and help us overcome many of the obstacles that uh, prevented us from uh, living and thriving in the past. Uh, it can create a little bit of a false sense of security that, uh, because we still remain mortal beings. And certainly we hope and pray that a vaccine for this terrible disease will be found very soon. And we certainly work all the time to overcome illness, you know, through medicine and science. But the reality is that we are mortal. And uh, I, I think this uh, puts a little dent in the, uh, the pride of, uh, uh, you know, we human beings. And if we're confronted with our mortality, that can either inspire uh, discouragement, despair, or depression, or uh, a healthy uh, sense uh, that our mortality through our faith, we understand, uh, is not meant to be permanent, uh, mm -hmm. uh, in, or, or, you know, that, that, that we are meant to be permanent, uh, not, not death, uh, and that there is a higher calling. I, I think, too, that to the extent that we can step off the rat race, out of the rat race a little bit, um, not that there aren't all kinds of problems and challenges in quarantine, uh, but nonetheless, then we can start to take a little more stock of our lives, be more thoughtful, more prayerful. That's also something good. Maybe even since we are social distancing, uh, being physically away from one another, maybe we realize the importance of family and friends and being with each other and socially relating to each other now since we can't do that. Yes. And I hope, too, that people will really... Now, some people say that, oh, if people don't go to Mass, they'll just stop going because they get used to not going. But I would hope for people of real faith that they will miss the sacraments. And I know there are many people like that. I hear yeah, it from them yeah. all the time, that people are hungry and thirsty for the Holy Eucharist and for uh, worship. So that's a very encouraging thing, too. That brings uh, up a good question, Archbishop. Have, have you been thinking of, of how we are going to begin practically celebrating Mass in public once again? Oh, I think about it every day, and there are many possible solutions, many scenarios. All of them have their pluses and minuses, and uh, even as we speak, we're going to have to start in earnest now here in the Archdiocese uh, for me and others to, to, who can help uh, to try to, uh, to figure out how we can reintroduce public worship while still observing the cautions that we need to, to have in place for a time anyway. So that's a big, uh, a big challenge right now. And there are no easy answers. There really aren't. Charlie from New Milford has a question for you. And Charlie says, before church is closed, I would go to church with my wife every Sunday. We are both retired and do not participate in many activities. So church was always our time out together. Now that I have been home practically every day for two months, I find myself in a bit of a rut. 
I am praying less and spending all of my time watching television. What do you suggest I do to keep my faith strong? Well, I think the main thing is not to give in to that kind of uh, lethargy, whether it's spiritual or physical, and uh, just make a decision that you are going to, p- to pray more. And uh, there's many wonderful resources, uh, prayer books. Uh, why not read even the gospel, uh, one of the gospels, and use that? Uh, or the daily readings from Mass, even if you're not able to go. Like I say, on the web uh, and in printed books, there's so many things like that. So don't give in to that kind of uh, lethargy that we all are tempted to, uh, but uh, find a way to engage yourself in, in, that, in, in prayer. And just, Charlie, if I can add something to uh, what the Archbishop just said, um, if you're going to watch television, how about watching the television Mass at 10 o'clock every single day? That's good television watching. That's television watching that your father wants to see you do. In any case. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, yeah, you can can participate uh, remotely in Mass and other devotional things on the web and on TV. And I might mention, too, Archbishop, that um, one of the, I think, the, the joys of many of the priests that do celebrate this Mass is knowing that they are celebrating this Mass for the people, many, many people who are on the other side of the television set who are participating. And rather than just celebrating Mass alone in, in the church or in the rectory, uh, they have an opportunity to, to celebrate a Mass, not in public, but for the public. Yeah, and not taking anything away from the televised Mass, but you know, in this current uh, problem, many of our parishes are live streaming the the Masses so that their own parishioners can watch their own church and their own priest have Mass. Uh, I know of priests who are uh, putting on little cooking uh, uh, classes uh, as well. I mean, not place of Mass, but in in addition, doing a lot of things online, live streaming, uh, that can engage people. So those are also things that I would recommend. You haven't thought of doing a cooking show, have you? No, I'm going to do an eating show. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. Let me bring up a topic now. I want to know your take on this, Archbishop. What's your reaction to an observation by Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, who says modern society is in the middle of formulating an anti-Christian creed? In a just-published biography of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, he links the dominance of recently emerging societal trends with what he called the spiritual power of the Antichrist. One hundred years ago, Pope Benedict notes in the two-volume biography by Peter Sewald, everybody would have considered it to be absurd to speak of a homosexual marriage. Today, one is being excommunicated by society if one opposes it. He makes the same point about abortion and comments. Modern society is in the middle of formulating an anti-Christian creed, and if one opposes it, one is being punished by society with excommunication. He then went on to say, The fear of this spiritual power of the Antichrist is then only more than natural, and it really needs the help of prayers on the part of an entire diocese and of the universal church in order to resist it. What do you think, Archbishop? Well, yes, I think some people would uh, be very put off by that and say it's very extreme, or it's, uh, I guess they would say it's ultra-conservative and that kind of thing, which they've often said about Pope Benedict and Pope John Paul and, you know, uh, but the reality is that the Pope uh, is quite right. I would say that it's not only a society that is increasingly anti-religion uh, or anti-Christian, but it's also one that's a- uh, even anti-rational, because faith and reason go together, you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, I, I think that 
to suggest some of the modern positions on, on human sexuality is not only contrary to, to revealed faith, but it's even contrary to human reason. You know, it was the late Cardinal George that said for a legislature to say that there can be a homosexual marriage, the, the legislature may as well pass a law outlawing gravity. This is just not, not possible. Uh, it, it's about faith and reason. Now, of course, it depends what you mean by marriage, because some people uh, have divorced marriage completely. Obviously, they would have to from uh, the physical reality of the human body, which, of course, we believe is, it comes from God. Uh, human sexuality. So no, I, I think, uh, yeah, the, the, the Pope is, is quite right. And it is true that if you dare to oppose these things, you are going to pay a price. We saw this uh, with abortion, the people who pay a price for opposing it, and all of these other immoral matters, it's the same way. And I think Pope Francis has also made this clear about paying the price, you know, for, uh, for living by uh, the gospel. Modern society in the middle of formulating an anti-Christian creed. On to another question. Renee in Bridgewater says, I volunteer at a nonprofit that is struggling to come up with much-needed funds at this time, and it made me wonder about churches and Catholic schools. I know that donations are crucial for churches to stay open, just as tuition is for Catholic schools. When the state reopens and schools and churches can open again, what can be done to make up for the money that is needed to keep them going? Well, Renee, I'm very happy to tell you that... Um there are certainly exceptions and perhaps more than we would like by any means. But uh, the report I'm getting is that a lot of our parishes, the parishioners are very faithfully still contributing to their church and uh, helping. They, that doesn't mean that they are getting uh, all that they need. Uh, particularly, you know, churches have obligations too to their employees and such uh, and can't just cut people off for lack of funds. But there seems to be a significant amount of, of Catholic people that are continuing to support their church. Uh, you know, as of we, this recording, our Archbishop's annual appeal, too, uh, yes, it is down significantly, uh, but all things considered, uh, I think the glass is half full as much as it's half empty, because we're still getting a significant number of contributions, particularly with schools, you know, they're always living right on the edge. And so that could, that's probably the area where it's most, uh, most, the most crucial of all. I do think many Catholic people are still responding generously. Lorraine from Hartford says, I heard that St. Januarius's blood liquefied during Mass last Saturday in Naples. I don't know much about the story behind this. Can you talk about what this miracle symbolizes? Well, St. Januarius was an early saint in what is now Naples, in Italy, not Florida. And uh, uh, his relic, reliquary had uh, a vial of his, his blood. And traditionally, at different times, and on his feast day, this blood liquefies, because, you know, normally it would be all dried up in the vial. And uh, I believe it's been studied by uh, scientists and such, and there's no explanation can be given for this. It's certainly never been, upon scientific examination, been uh, determined to be some kind of hoax or something. But what this liquefaction means uh, in any given moment is hard to say. The Neapolitans, of course, believe that if it doesn't liquefy, that's not a good sign on his feast day. And uh, But uh, the interpretation to be given, there's really, really none. I mean, you know, as far as what it's, what it, what it, in a particular case, what it might mean. So we're all free to draw our own conclusion as to what this might mean. For instance, it could very well mean that the Lord is pleased with the reception that he is getting in Naples, for instance. 
well, I guess you could put it that way. I, I don't, you know, I mean, none of these things are part of the doctrine of the faith. Right, these right. are these are devotional things that the church says, well, it would appear that there's no hoax here and that there's nothing, you know, nothing pre prevent devotion to St. Januarius in this way. But there's no, uh, you know, as far as what it means, that's for anybody to uh, to take a guess. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together this morning. Can you conclude our program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord, in this uh, joyful season, yet one that is tempered by uh, the anxieties we feel at a time of pandemic, we pray that we may be given the grace to place all our trust in you, and that we may walk the path of faith, which means living closely in union with you by our faith, hope, and love, and by always striving every day to put that faith, hope, and love into practice for our own good and the good of others. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next Sunday. And until then, stay well and safe and joyful. Thank you. You too. Thank you.